Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. If you would, take your Bible and open to Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter. Uh, we'll continue to look primarily at Hebrews, the fourth chapter tonight. It's always good to be together on Sunday evening and study God's Word. I must make a confession. Uh, the illustration I used last week of uh, pickup for supply in July if you would like to pick up, there is one more still sitting right here that somebody really needs to pick up. So if you'll pick that up and leave the little yellow uh, tab with me or, or somebody on staff and we'll get that to where it goes. I didn't realize until today that it was still up here. Uh, we headed out right after Sunday uh, morning on chisel and sculpt headed out Sunday afternoon and it was marvelous time. We are such wonderful young people. We uh, love being together and, and what a wonderful opportunity it was to spend those 48 hours together. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about, it won't be 48 hours, it'll probably just be about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but it's going to be really exciting and uh, probably only about 100 of you can fit there, but you can wait in line if you need to, but right after the amen is said tonight, across from the foyer, there's going to be a party packing and, and stuffing bags for stateside. About half of them were prepared before, but we need to finish them up. And so uh, if you can do that, I know sometimes you already have plans and you can't, but really we could really use at least a hundred of you and we could just get them out there really quick. And uh, a lot of good plans are being made for stateside. And if, if you aren't going on stateside and can help with that, Great. If you're going on stateside and can help with that, great. Don't forget that. Uh, also, second stateside announcement. It's very important. If you are planning on going to stateside, Scott Owens is going to be at Information Center right after services tonight. And you need information picked up about hotel arrangements and just travel plans. And so if you are planning on going, go by there and receive that. Real important here. If you were planning on going, but you're not going to be able to go now, please go by there so that the hotel rooms can be correct and so we won't be paying for hotel rooms that we don't need. So uh, be sure and go by there. Either way, if you are going or if you had planned on going, it's not going to work out and let him know either way on that. Uh, it's exciting to think that odds are very, very, very good uh, that... Within a week or so, there are going to be some people in Kentucky that become Christians that are not Christians now. That's pretty exciting to think about. It's pretty exciting to think about the eternal destination of, of some and perhaps many will uh, be altered because of the, the impact that people just fulfilling the Great Commission, just going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and of his love and of his church with others. And so I want to encourage you to be prayerful about that. And uh, give your all in whatever ways that you can to be involved in that. Speaking of good news from mission trips, even before service was over this morning, I was receiving texts from this team here that's in Brazil about the following picture. This is what I received right uh, during second service. And uh, there's really a neat story here. The first convert in Belém was an older lady named Joanna. She, ever since, for several years, has been studying with her family and has been praying for her family. Today, Jeffrey, who's one of her grandsons, he's an adult, uh, but this is one of her grandsons, he was baptized into Christ this morning. Clayton is there kind of at the end of the pool assisting Nick with the baptism. 
Clayton is one of the students of Sherry Harris's Let's Start Talking students from a previous campaign that went there. And, uh, and afterwards, he led a beautiful prayer. And also what is very exciting is that the attendance today in their morning worship service was 51. Now, let me remind you, we only have 14 there. So it's not like we blew up this huge number. I mean, it's really amazing to think that even including our 14, the attendance was 51. Brethren, the church is gaining momentum there. It's a beautiful sight to see. And so let's continue uh, to pray for them. And let's pray this week that this is just the beginning of a great momentum for that kingdom uh, that will be a blessing for years to come. You know, usually we have good news announcements in, in the morning, such as I'm about to make, but we failed to get this one around in time because, uh, well, it's my fault. It came to me in the middle of the night in a text and I forgot to get it there, okay? So here it is. We offer a big congratulations to Cayman and Amelia Richards. Uh, little Walter Payton was born at 158 this morning. He weighed four pounds and 14 ounces. He was several weeks early, but from everything that we're hearing, he's doing very well. And so we rejoice with, with uh, Cayman and, uh, and Amelia and also uh, with the grandfather uh, Gary Richards in that also. We've been studying rest and, and this will be the end of, of this series tonight on rest. And as we do so, I, I just remind you that when we look in Hebrews, the third chapter, we were told to consider Christ. We were told to consider our own faith. We were told to consider the fact that it's very possible that we could fall away from the faith and that we ought to consider others to exhort one another daily, he said. Now to drive this point home, the Hebrew writer, keep in mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's a message from God. God chose to use the children of Israel coming right up to the edge of the promised land, the land of rest. And, and the very, if you will, the last step, they decided to not believe God. God told them what he would give them and they decided to not believe. And so they turned back. And so it's throughout the rest of the third chapter and throughout all the fourth chapter, the plea is for you and I to believe God. And because of our belief, we would be obedient. We would be people of faith that would live in rest. But now what is really interesting is how many ways this word rest is used. We're going to come to that in just a moment, but just reviewing this morning, do you remember Hebrews 4 and verse 1, we see in the fourth chapter our first let us statement where he speaks of the promised remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any seem to come short of it. And so the first let us statement, which is what we'll end with tonight, that's why I'm kind of building on that. Think about it. He gives us at least four let us statements in this fourth chapter. And so this morning we studied the first one and it was let us fear falling short, coming up short. And remember we used the illustration of, of coming up short in that last yard of the Titans back in the Super Bowl 34. And, and that gives us an image of what it is to come up short. What would it be like on the day of judgment to know that, hey, there was a time in my past where I was really faithful to you, Lord. And, and if, if that would have been the time that now I stand before you on the day of judgment, that would have been great. But something happened and I come up short. I quit. Not I finished. Now that's significant. What we want to do is finish. 
not quit. What the Hebrew writer is dealing with in the third and fourth chapter is with people quitting in their faith with God. And so we're looking at rest, and if you have your Bible open, uh, and I hope you do, we're going to have some of the verses on the screen tonight, and then some of them toward the end of this lesson won't be, but uh, in, in not a particular um, chronological order in the verses, but, but I want us to go over a few occasions that rest is used. I have studied with individuals one-on-one. -on -one where they have tried to use Hebrews, the fourth chapter, as the fact that we still live under a Sabbath day law, that we ought to be worshiping on Saturday, we ought to be keeping that law. And one of the go-to passages for their understanding of this is Hebrews, the fourth chapter. That's not the only reason we're studying this tonight. But I just want you to know that it is important anytime something is taught in Scripture that we have an understanding of it. And I just want you to note that in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the word rest is used several different ways in this one chapter. And so looking at the context helps us understand, okay, what is meant in this particular time? And so let's just point out a few of these and maybe this will pique some interest in further study for you. When we look in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse four, we see the time that rest is used here speaking about God's rest on the seventh day of the creation week. Hebrews 4 and 4, for he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. When we go back in Genesis, the second chapter in verse 2, we see that, that the Lord created on day 1 through day 6. But... In Genesis 2 and 2 said that he ended his work and rested. I'd like for you to think about the significance of this. It's not the fact that, that the Lord got to the end of day six and he said, wow, that wore me out. I just don't feel like I can do anymore. And so I'm quitting. No, it's the idea that he had completed what he had planned to do very very systematically, there was a reason why day one preceded day two and day two followed day one. And we won't go into all that, but there was a very systematic way so that when God ended day six, ended, he had completed what he set out to do. And so now that seventh day was a day of rest. The work is complete. Now that's important to where we're going to come to the end of here in, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in just a moment. When we look at verse five, we see another reference to what we've been referencing all along in this, and it's Israel's opportunity to go into the land of rest, except they missed it. And so in verse five says, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. And so that's where God's saying, because of your unbelief, I'm not gonna let you enter. And remember, we studied this morning. The next morning they get up and they say, we've sinned and we're gonna go ahead. And he says, no, you're not gonna go ahead. And so when they tried to go in on their own, the enemies defeated them. And you better believe that the enemies defeating them was God's way of saying, I told you, you're not going into the land of rest right now. And so God was in control of whether or not they were having that land of rest, just like today. God is in control as to whether or not we have rest and it's all resting upon whether or not we believe the promises of God and submit to them. A third usage of rest is, let's drop down to the eighth verse. I know we're skipping a little bit there, but let's drop down to the eighth verse. And, and notice how now we bring up the topic of Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, 
then he would not have afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. All right, now if you remember the story, you remember that Moses led them up to the edge, the 12 spies went out, the, the Israel believed the 10 wicked spies, and so God sent them out. The adult generation dies, it's part of their punishment. The younger generation is growing. They come over to the edge, but remember Moses isn't allowed to carry them into the land of rest, and so Joshua carries them into the land of rest. And if that was the land of rest and there was nothing else offered, why does he speak of rest remaining if that was it. Well, it's because that's not the only rest that God offered. This land that geographically was going to be protected by God and great provisions were going to be provided by God and they were going to be free from Egyptian slavery. All of this was a type of rest, but Psalm 95 is what Hebrews 3 and 4 quotes out of a lot. Remember David wrote Psalm 95? And so in essence, what the Hebrew writer is saying, what David's saying is, hey, even though we are years and years removed from that land of that geographical land rest, there is still a rest remaining. And so that takes us back to verse six. Look at verse six and, and we key in on what David said here in, in six and seven. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached, see that's that first generation that Moses was leading, they did not enter in because of disobedience. See the emphasis continual is upon, do you believe and do you obey? Do you, do you not believe and disobey? Do you believe and trust? Trust and obey. Don't trust God and disobey. And so he says, that generation, they're not going to enter in because of disobedience. Verse 7, again, he designated a certain day saying in David, now he's quoting Psalm 95, David said hundreds of years after Moses and Joshua, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so David was standing years later saying, brethren, you have an opportunity for rest. Just don't harden your hearts like Israel did. A plea to not be disobedient. And that disobedience comes from an unbelief in what God says. Now, Look in verse 9 and we see a final rest that is to come in 9 and 10. Still Hebrews 4. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So that is there. There is that ultimate eternal rest that those while they are on this earth have entered into rest with Christ. Remember what we read this morning, Matthew the 11th chapter, come to me all you that heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And that rest is talking about right now while we're alive. This room ought to be full of people that are at spiritual rest with God. And, and those that are at spiritual rest with God, when we breathe our last breath, we will have eternal rest with God. And that eternal rest with God will be like the Lord 
in the six days of creation where once it was complete, he had rest. Once our life on this earth is made perfect through Christ, it is complete through Christ, and then we die physically, we then are at rest eternally. This is the way John in Revelation says, in Revelation the 14th chapter and verse 13, this same kind of language. He said, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, yes, who says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So those who die in the Lord, They've come to the Lord, they've found rest in the Lord, but throughout their life, they have been faithful servants of the Lord. They breathe their last breath. They now are resting from their labors. How awesome will it be to pass on over to the other side and not battle temptation anymore? You can rest from that labor. How awesome will it be to pass on the other side and to not battle Satan and his angels and the evil forces of darkness and wickedness? That war for us is going to be over. How awesome will it be to to not be fatigued in doing good? You know, mothers, it's tough to raise children and to raise them right, to raise them looking toward the Lord. It's one of the biggest jobs on this earth. Fathers, being the head of the home, having that that spiritual burden upon you to know that God requires you to lead the direction of your home, that's a burden. To know that God expects you to go to work and to care for the souls around you. And he expects you to care for your neighbors that live on each side of you. If we understand what God asks of us, it's a burden. And to go to bed at night with heavy mental burdens, with burdens on the heart, with just being tired from, from doing God's work, This room ought to be full of people that can say, yes, that's how I live, absolutely. And you know what? There's coming a day when we'll be able to rest from those burdens. Where we'll breathe our last and we will have been soldiers, we will have been warriors on this earth. And we'll be able to say, "I'm, I'm thankful now I can go and rest. And isn't it neat to know that if we live that that kind of life, that he says, and your works do follow you. Far beyond someone's life on this earth, their influence continues to be profound upon others and in the life of the kingdom. And I don't think we can fully know exactly what that is in its fullness, perhaps until the other side, if the Lord allows us to see it. Do you have your Bibles open? I'd like for you to look with me at this next slide for just a few minutes and the lesson's yours. I want you to notice that 
There are four let us statements in most of our translations. In, in the New King, King James translation, there's four let us statements. We looked at one this morning, and I would like for us to close this entire series by, by kind of saying, okay, God, we, we get the picture. You've used the illustration of the Israelites in a profound way. I can identify with that. And I understand, I hear you saying how important it is to be faithful. So God, what do you want of me? And I believe these let us statements where the Hebrew writer is saying, this is what we together need to do. And so number one, we, we need to fear falling away. We studied that this morning. But then we drop down to Hebrews 4 and 11, and we need to be diligent. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of dis disobedience. He's, and again, he's going back to the children of Israel. And he says, we don't want to be like them. So what do we do? Be diligent. Now you want to know, you can't make this stuff up. You know, when you study the Bible and you see how God's wisdom comes in, you know what's just, it's just interesting. It's intriguing. When you look up the word out of verse one, where he tells us not to fall short, the very first definition in the lexicon for not falling short is, to be late. You know what the first definition is of be diligent? Make speed. Now, how awesome is that? Which one describes you about keeping the promises of God, about trusting the promises of God? Let me rephrase that. We don't keep the promise. God keeps the promises. Do we trust the promises of God? Do, do we make haste? Let's be diligent. Think about the, the 10 spies. Oh, no, no, we can never do that. And yet Joshua and Caleb was like, we can do this. Remember, they said, let's go up at once. You see, they were diligent. Let's make haste. And then you have the other ones that were falling short. Oh, no, you know, I just don't think we can do that today. Now, tomorrow we may want to. And God says, tomorrow you're not going to get the opportunity to do it. Most of us in most occasions know what's right. I know sometimes we can find ourselves in peculiar situations where it's kind of tough to figure out exactly what's right. But wouldn't you agree that probably 98% of the time, the difficulty is not figuring out what's right or what's wrong. And so the times that it's just so clear what's right, do you make haste? Do you diligently say, you know what? If God says it, I trust him. I don't have to understand it all. I trust him. This is the way I'm going to live. Be diligent and fear falling short, fear being late, fear procrastinating it. Be diligent to enter into the rest. Now, we're not going to take the time to develop this, but if you want to know, what do you think would follow us making haste to not be disobedient to God? Well, what's got to follow are some verses about the Word of God, because that's the way we hear God. So verse 12's powerful verse about how powerful the Word of God is. Are we going to hear it? Are we going to obey it? Are we going to do it? That's how we make haste uh, to, to listen to the word of God. All right, now drop down with me, if you will, in verse 14. 
And notice how he says, let us hold fast. He talks about Jesus again, being a high priest, just as he did in the third chapter in the first few verses there. And he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. What are we holding fast to? We're holding fast to our confession. What was our confession? A part of our confession, it goes back to the third chapter in verse six that we've talked about several lessons. It go back to the third chapter in verse 14. It's this idea that we believe the promises of God. We confess, we confess that his promises are true. It's Jesus who he says he is. Most of us here are not ashamed to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is son of God. How do you know that? I believe God. I believe God. I wasn't there when, when Mary gave birth to him. But I believe God. I believe God. Are you willing to hold fast that confession, all of the promises that God makes us, all that is revealed back in verse 12 in that living word of God that's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? Do we believe it? Hold fast. I'm not going to let go of this. I'm going to stand firm until the end. Do we believe that? Verse one, let us not fall short. Instead, let us make haste. Let us hold fast. Don't give up. I don't know what storms God's going to bring you this week, but I can tell you what, we've had several families had some pretty bad storms last week. And I suspect because we're living on earth, some of us will have some pretty bad storms this week. What are you going to do? Are you going to hold fast? Are you going to believe God and say, you know what? I can't control all this outer stuff. But I can stand with the one that holds my soul. He holds my eternity. He holds the things that really, really matter. And that is why, gives me cold chills to get to this next verse. It's so beautiful. When he pleads for us to come boldly before the throne, what kind of throne do you think he's going to talk about? If you don't know this verse, I'm going to say you're probably going to be surprised. Look with me, if you will, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne. Wait a minute, God, I don't think I deserve. I don't think I can get my life together enough to, to come before your throne. God, you're so perfect and you're so righteous. I, I don't think I could ever approach your throne. He says, listen, listen, I want you to come boldly. Oh, I know I could never come boldly. Listen, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How can you come boldly? Remember that goes back to the third chapter of that confidence. How can you walk with, with, a, with a spiritual, not a self-arrogance, but a spiritual assuredness? How, how can you be so certain? We say, because I trust God. He never lets his promises. He never breaks his promises. He's faithful. And I'm gonna come boldly before his throne because, because I need grace and it's the only place I can go to find eternal grace. I'm going to come boldly for his throne because I need mercy and it's the only source of mercy that I have. I'm going to go to that grace. Why? 
because I am in time of need. Brethren, it's not, can you get your life all put together so perfectly? And when you get it all put together so perfectly, now bring your perfect little self before the throne of God. Now, how many of us are going to have the opportunity to do that? You take God out of the picture and we don't have a perfect life. We have no hope of perfection. But you know what God teaches us that he can do through the blood of his son? He can remove sins as far as the east is from the west. He, through Christ's righteousness, can make us perfect again. And it's because of that that we approach the throne of grace boldly. Not because of our righteousness, because of his promises, we come boldly. We need mercy and we come boldly because we're in times of need and we come boldly. So what does a life of rest look like? I've been thinking the last week or two of how to describe that as we close. And I'm not saying this is the perfect example of it. But when we find rest in Christ, our life ought to be very different. And especially our inner peace. That peace that passes understanding. And I read this the other day and it was words that T.B. Larimore wrote the last few days of his life. A spiritual giant, a man that when you hear his words, I think we all could agree that he had found a place of rest in his spiritual life. Not rest from labors at this point, but rest from the burden of sin and and all that surrounds that. And I just want to close tonight, and as we, as we hear this, I just want you to think about, is, is this the kind of spiritual growth that you're seeing in your life? Is this the rest that you find in Christ when, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of, of invitation, and it's the Lord's invitation. It's not our invitation. It's the Lord's invitation saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He'll start giving you rest tonight. He'll give you freedom from your burden of sin tonight. Well, what does that life look like when someone is free from sin tonight? Well, here's what this journey starts looking like. T.B. Larrymore in his last days said this. My faith has never been stronger. My hope has never been brighter. My head has never been clearer. My heart has never been calmer. My life has never been purer. I love all. I hate none. My love for some lifts my soul into the realm of the sublime. I'm willing to die today. I'm willing to live a thousand years to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. My friends are dearer to me. Association with them is sweeter to me. My sympathy for suffering souls is stronger. My love for all the pure, the true, the beautiful the good, and the sublime, from the bud, the blossom, the babe, up to him from whom all blessings flow, is truer, tenderer, sweeter than ever before. I sleep soundly, 
dream sweetly and rejoice evermore. Rest. He'd already begun to find rest to his soul. Tonight in a chaotic world, the inner person ought to not be chaotic. The inner person ought to find some kind of rest that you can't provide yourself and nobody can provide it for you and no substance can provide it, no material thing can provide it. We're talking about only something that Jesus says, I will give you rest. We're about to sing a song of encouragement. If there's anything that we can do to help you come to Jesus, the only one that can offer you a marvelous, marvelous rest. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?